Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, So whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well... What better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit UpswellMarketing.com. That's UpswellMarketing.com. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we're discussing the easiest ways to screen tenants. Joel, what's going on, man? What's up, buddy? Just drinking a beer and uh, (laughs) talking money with you. That's what we do on the show. Uh, Have you ever watched uh, Black Mirror? I haven't, but I've heard good things. Yeah. Well, what they got going for them is like this dystopian sort of future sci-fi thing, which I'm super into. I love dystopian stuff, too. Yeah. You know, except that you don't like like sci-fi, though. You don't like like sci-fi. You don't like comic books. I'm not a huge comic no, but book I like fan. dystopian though. Like I love 1984. I love yeah, yeah. Brave New World. I'm all about uh-huh. dystopian future stuff, dude. Okay, so th- if that's the case, you you need you should probably check out Black Mirror. It's a little dark. I guess it's aptly named. It's like Dark Mirror. It's like, sort of like a reflection of society, but like a darker version of it. And specifically, uh, there is. I was listening to the Indicator by NPR. Do you ever listen to that podcast? I don't. It's it's pretty cool. They take a number, break it down, sort of how it affects our society, our economy markets, different things like that. But they were talking about uh, how China, the country, you know, China, heard of it. (laughs) They're rolling out this sort of social credit experiment, which I found incredibly fascinating. Basically, it's like an Uber rating, but for yourself, like as a human being. And so whatever interactions you have, whether it be with a business or like other people, or whether you stop for people that are trying to cross uh, the sidewalk, you get rated. Like there's people on the lookout and it's super big brother. Yeah, it's based on a thousand point scale. And so like that's where you start out, like at the very beginning with a thousand points. And you get deducted for stuff. And so like say you get a traffic ticket, boom, get like 50 points knocked off. And your social credit score affects your ability to take advantage of like luxury products. So they've got like this high speed train and they're interviewing this guy and he had defaulted on some loans, some business loans. He's a big time uh, business owner, millionaire guy, but he defaulted on some loans. And because of that, he couldn't take the high-speed train. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah, I read a little bit about this, and it was fascinating, and it was kind of interesting and cool, but also... Kind of messed up. Messed up yeah. and terrible at the same time. <laughs> and I'd heard people talk about this, specifically that one Black Mirror episode where people were kind of being ranked, right, based on their interactions with other people. And so, you know, I could 
turn in a crappy podcast performance here and you could like deduct me oh on, man right? that'd, be, yeah. that'd be terrible <laughs> so it, it just it was it seems awful right but it also it could it's, be where we're headed in some regards bizarrely fascinating is what it is and it know? sounds like it is kind of turning into real life in china and so it seems like a democratization of sorts of kind of who you are as a person in some ways which I, let's be honest. We've talked about this before on our credit score episode. Right now, it's in the hands of these major three bureaus right. that get to decide whether you're a good person, whether you're credit worthy or not, even without you having signed up to be a part of that system. And so in some ways, this seems a touch better, even though it's like creepy and terrible at the same time. It seems like a little bit better than just these three companies having all this power. They say yes or no. Right. Um, and, and in this, there, there's a little more you know, democratized element to it, but it's still... It's, weird as can be and i don't think i look forward to a day where we were all rating each other and saying you know whether you know matt held the door for the elderly <laughs> lady behind him or just completely flicked me off in traffic whatever it is yeah, like, if i was like speeding or something like that it made it sound like that almost anybody could rank or rate somebody that they had an interaction with just as casually as walking past someone on the street and like i said on one hand that's crazy interesting and it's like something i would want to watch but would i want to live that in my real life you know day to day do I want my kids sort of worried about what their scores are? And to, to an extent, that's what we do as adults when it comes to, to social media. That's definitely one of the downsides of that. You know, it's, it's terrible from that standpoint. It's terrible how social media and technology is pulling us away from real human interactions. And we're so worried about our scores. Again, talking about things being turned into games. On one hand, that's amazing because it makes things interesting. And the natural byproduct of that is that things are better. Whether that be, oh, you get points for picking up litter or something like that. But on the other hand, it's like, oh man, that's a complete substitute for real life mm. and the real human interactions that we have with you know, each other, our friends, and, and as well as with our families and our kids. Yeah, I think it's super interesting, Matt. Like, we'll stay on top of kind of what's happening with yeah. these social credit experiments. Yeah, like I said, it's weird now, kind of the way it, way it is. And it's this seems kind of even weirder. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure, you know, where we should reside when it comes to you know, determining other people's credit worthiness and, and rating each other based on our interactions. I mean, man, are you even allowed to have a bad day in a scenario right, like this? Yeah, dude. Yeah, exactly. Or That's feel pain so true. or anger or anything like that. And it's like, are you able to be real right. when it comes to real life? Or are you just so concerned with playing the game, playing the social credit game that you're just going to do whatever it takes to make sure you don't, don't get points deducted? It's, it's crazy. It's worth mentioning, though, too, that it was, it's called, it's considered an experiment. Like there's a few cities in China that are doing it. It's not like it's something that they're rolling out and they say that, oh yeah, this is going to be the solution. But it is an incredibly fascinating yeah, approach. Well, on to our fascinating beer of the day, Matt. <laughs> Today we are drinking a really interesting one by a brewery called Variant Brewing. And they're just up the road from where we live in Atlanta. Uh, and this is called Raspberry Johnny Cashmere. And it's a New England style IPA, refermented on three different kinds of fruits. And we will tell you what we think about this really fascinating beer at the end of the show. All right, Joel, you want to kick it off? Yeah, buddy. So the subject at hand for today's show is the easiest way to screen tenants. And Matt, you and I are all about rental properties, right? We've talked about this in multiple episodes past, and we figured we should dedicate a whole show to how to screen tenants. Because after you purchase a rental property, doing a good job screening tenants is the most important thing you can do to make sure that that is a success for you. And like most new things, it can be scary or daunting. It might feel even intimidating until you actually go through that screening process. But like most of those things, also it's easier than you think it is. Yeah, man, that's right. And this is a great episode too. If you're not into real estate, this is great too. If you have a primary residence and you're considering, oh, you know, maybe someday I could just rent out this house. And this is a great sort of introduction to one of the biggest things that is like Joel said, kind of daunting or, or foreign. But also too, if you're a renter, man, have a listen. Listen to this episode. You'll pick up some tips on what it is that your new potential landlord is looking for. And you know that'll help you to snag that property that you got your eye on. Yeah. The, as a renter, the way you go through this process could be the determining factor of whether or not you end up you know, signing a lease on that house that you're interested in or condo or apartment, whatever it is, or whether you end up playing second fiddle to someone that played the game better. And so, you know, as a potential tenant, I think, yeah, you can learn a lot from this episode too. All right, man. The problem is that it can be tempting to skip screening tenants or to do a crappy job. 
some nice folks might show up to see the place. They say they make a lot of money and they want to rent it. So you go ahead and sign the contract, right? Wrong. That's right. You do not sign the contract. Most folks out there are probably great and they're telling the truth. They might make a ton of money, but that doesn't really matter if it's all going towards debt. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that talk a good game. And it's easy to have a nice conversation with someone that is super friendly and assume that they are going to be a great tenant. But that doesn't always translate, right? Yeah, I mean, we try to operate from the standpoint of thinking that most folks out there are good, you know? And But unfortunately, we can't operate from that standpoint of living in a, a big city where we don't know someone's grandma, you know? If I knew someone's grandma, it'd be okay. Yeah, and the problem is, Matt, terrible tenants can cause major problems for your house with your neighbors, and they can bring down not just your house, but the entire street. And that's why we think it's so important to screen potential tenants well, because you've got a rental property, right? That you've put a lot of time and intention and money and effort into, and you want to make sure that you are getting someone that is going to care about that place and be a good tenant for a long time to ensure that viability of this thing that you've spent so much of your life and your effort on. Yeah, man, it's incredibly important to screen. And so doing a great job when it comes to screening your tenants can be the difference between the next 12, 18 or 24 months being a dream, you know, where you're able to build wealth or it being a nightmare where you're constantly on call. You're trying to put out fires, hopefully not literal fires, but where it's just sort of this constant thing that's kind of hanging over your head. Yeah. I was just talking to my friend Tim the other day, Matt, and he has seven rental properties. And he was telling me about the beginning of his rental property career. He said that literally the first few tenants were terrible. And he had to evict every single one of them. Dang. And it was because he didn't screen tenants well, right? So Tim didn't learn his lesson the first time or the second time. But I think third time. The third time? Yeah. (laughs) I think third time around he got it. And and, and, You got this, Tim. And since then, you know, Tim hasn't had any problem with tenants. And he explained to me that he thought, you know, hey, this person's pretty nice, right? They seem good in person. They seem good on paper. But it turns out that without this screening process that we're going to walk you through, it's really easy for people to kind of skip by and go from place to place, find a new landlord to kind of prey on and take advantage of their kindness, um, and then stop paying rent, uh, ruin your place. There are so many um, terrible options that could come from from not screening a tenant well. And the thing is, Matt, too, that it's pretty easy to screen a tenant well. And we're going to get into that as well. Yeah. So going back to eviction that he had to do a few times there, like that's the most expensive thing that you could possibly do when it comes to working with a tenant. An average eviction costs anywhere between $25 to $3,500. And that is a lot of money. Yeah. Not to mention the headaches, right? Of having to go through that process. And depending on the state that you live in, some states have laws that favor landlords and others have laws that favor tenants. But no matter what state you're in, even if you're in a landlord-friendly state, evicting a tenant is not only a pain in the butt, it costs you time and money at the same time. And that is not a good recipe for succeeding in the investment property game. Yeah. I mean, that's not why you got into it, right? It's not like you got into investment properties and rentals thinking, I want to get some tenants in there. And then after three months, I want to evict them. Because <laughs> like, I want them to be terrible. Yeah, and not exactly. Pay. No, that's not at all why, why you got into that uh, that as an investment, right? And so avoiding that altogether is certainly the number one priority when it comes to screening tenants. Just be sure, we'll go ahead and mention this at the beginning, but make sure you're following fair housing laws uh, very closely. You cannot discriminate based on color, disability, family status. I'm going to say them all. National origin, race, religion, or sex. And this means whether you do that intentionally or not, you could get in trouble if the you know potential tenant that you have is able to sort of document how maybe you're screening or you're not renting to them versus someone else. And the only difference between them and the person that you're looking at is one of those protected classes. I remember, dude, early on, family status, that's one that surprised me because I remember thinking early on that like, oh, yeah, it might be nice to have a, a younger family in there. But like, you can't do that at all. Can't you? discriminate against the single people. Yeah, exactly. From an investor standpoint, you think, oh, a family stability. You think, okay, they're going to be here for a while. But yeah, a friend of mine luckily uh, mentioned to me early on that like, oh no, you, you can't say this would be a great house for a young family because you start getting to this sort of slippery slope, this, this gray area where uh, someone could point to that and then say, oh no, you're trying to market that towards families. 
it says right there, great for young families <laughs> versus, you know, like a single person that might want to move in. So make sure that you are steering clear of those protected classes and that you're making your property available to everyone. Yeah. So now that we've kind of seen how expensive an eviction can be for a landlord and how much headache it could be, the months of dealing with law enforcement and a tenant that refuses to cooperate, let's cover the nitty gritty of how to go about screening, screening well, so that you can avoid those problem tenants right after the break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at AARP.org slash wise friend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best-fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, Matt. So back from the break. We promised we'd talk about the stages of screening, and my favorite stage of screening is <laughs> allowing tenants to pre-screen themselves effectively by putting the requirements that you have for potential tenants in the listing of your property. Yeah, and so it helps to put 
your minimum credit score and income amount required uh, to rent your place inside the body of the listing because people that don't meet those requirements just oftentimes won't reach out in the first place when they read that in your listing. Yeah, they just need not apply, right? You're just wasting everyone's time. If you see, or it doesn't even have to be income-based or credit score-based. It can even be, say, uh, no pets allowed. And if you've got five dogs, well, shoot, just skip right over that listing because you're just going to waste your time and you're going to waste the the manager or the landlord's time. It's just a way for everyone to save time and to keep moving on with life. And so on that note, the next step is scheduling showings. And so I don't personally do open house showings. Joel, do you? No, I schedule each one individually. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. That's that's how I roll too. And so during the showings, you want to ask yourself, do they show up when they say they're going to? You want to note that if they show up late or even are a no-show and don't communicate, that that's a bad start. And one way to weed out the folks that are just kind of meh, like those aren't the kind of tenants that you want to have. It's also a great idea to do a pre-interview here while they're there looking at the place. You can ask questions about their employment, uh, whether or not they smoke, what their income might be, if they have any pets. Some folks allow dogs, but not cats or vice versa. You can do all these things even before they apply again to save yourself time. There's no sense in reading through an application and starting to make the calls or sending out the emails when you know there are certain requirements where that possible tenant doesn't meet. Yeah, and I can't stress enough this part of the phase where you're talking to a prospective tenant, you're emailing back and forth with them, you're setting up a time to come and view the house or the apartment or whatever it may be. You know, those email conversations will tell you a lot. You know, how they use language, how promptly they reply, what sort of tone they use in their emails. And then in person, right? When you finally meet that person, do they arrive on time? How do they present themselves in person as well? Those sorts of things will make a major impact on how you view this person and whether you want them living in the investment property that you own or not. And then on top of that, Matt, like you mentioned, yeah, some of those pre-interview questions, you'll get a different answer out of people and oftentimes a much more truthful perspective. If you ask those questions in person via email, it's really easy to present yourself in one light and make yourself seem better than you actually are. But in person, uh, when you ask those questions just in a nonchalant way sometimes, right? Not grilling people, not putting them under the cop light and asking them the tough questions, but just nonchalantly bringing some of these questions up. If you notice a lot of hemming and hawing or not even knowing some of the answers to some of these questions, that's a really good way to know that you are talking with someone who might not be a great tenant. Yeah, man. Or even something as silly as what kind of condition uh, their car is when they pull up. You know, If they pull up in something that looks like it's in terrible shape, and not, I'm not talking about a beater, right? Where you're, you've got a great dependable car and it's just kind of old, but I'm talking like stuff's busted on it. Like there's a mirror hanging from the side, like on the car that got taken out by like a telephone pole. <laughs> Fast food wrappers spilling out onto the yeah, sidewalk like, as they open the door. That's not a great sign of how they're going to take care of your property. So it's all these nonverbal sort of cues as well that goes into this uh, stage where you're scheduling showings and meeting folks in person. So already we've talked about tenant screening, right? And we've said that there are two ways that you could have already screened really well, right? Just in your listing, you're pre-screening people by the requirements you list out. And then you're screening via email and in person as you're getting to know these prospective tenants that met that first initial pre-screening. The next step that you're going to want to enact when it comes to tenant screening is an initial application. And so that application is where potential tenants fill out their personal information, basic stuff. And what we're interested in here is their tenant history, right? The previous five years of rental history with landlord names and contact information. And I'll tell you what, Matt, I feel like this is probably the easiest way to be able to identify a poor tenant. If you can call and ask their previous landlord, you know, did they pay rent on time? Would you rent to them again? This is one of the most important indicators that will help you know whether or not this is a reliable tenant that you're going to want to lease your property to. Yeah, man. In my book, this is pretty much the number one thing that I kind of go off of is if they have been great tenants in the past, I'm even willing to take applicants that have a worse credit score or that might have a lot of debt. But you know what? If their past several years of tenant history, and I'm, if I'm able to talk to their landlords and they always pay no matter what, man, that sets an incredible track record for them. That tells me that, you know what, even though they might not have their financial game 
in tip-top shape when it comes to their credit score. Or, man, they just spend a lot of money and they've got a lot of debt. That still tells me that, well, they still make rent payments a priority. And there's just a lot to be learned from previous landlords uh, that they have rented from in the past. Yeah, another important uh, check mark on the list of that initial application that you're going to want a prospective tenant to fill out is their employment information. In particular, it's best to speak with their direct supervisor if at all possible, or if they work for a bigger company, you might need to settle for talking to someone in HR. But that conversation or email exchange with their supervisor can be really beneficial. You can get little clues from how their supervisor talks about them or you know whether they give a glowing review quickly or um, whether they're very brief in their response. Right. And, and, and I know that that's helped me make decisions. Um, yes, I'll, they work here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe they come in the door sometimes. Yeah, that's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> so you do get a lot from that email exchange. Um, and it's worth noting that you should do all of these things because you might not get a great picture from just doing one. But all of these things combined you know, are pieces of the puzzle that put together the entire picture of whether this person is going to be a good tenant or a bad one. And some other things that you can have on that initial application, obviously, you want to have their signature on there. That way you can verify that the things that they say are true by, you know, giving their previous landlords or their bosses a call. And other info on there as well could be helpful when it comes to make a decision, but doesn't carry as much weight. Things like uh, their current rent or why they're moving, things like that. It's helpful to have that information on there. Uh, just kind of creates a more robust picture of, of who they are. It's also worth mentioning too that this initial application can be as simple as just a piece of paper, just a form that you created in a Word document uh, where the applicant just fills out the information. This isn't something that's super fancy. You can have a few printed out on hand there while you're showing the property, but that makes it super easy. But man, lately I've just been like texting it. Like when folks show up, I'm just like, all right, what's your number? <laughs> and I just text it to them or email it to them and folks are able to print it out either at work or at home, or just fill it out digitally. It's just so easy now to, to do that by a smartphone and just sign it with their finger, get their signature on there, and boom, like you're, you're all set. You're good to go. And so that's the initial application, which again, can be easy as paper. The next thing you want to do with that is to start making the calls. You start following up and figuring out if these folks are who they say they are. Yeah, Matt. So I think there's a lot of flexibility in how exactly you want to handle that application. Like you said, you could just literally send an email with four questions and have them respond to them. But I think there is something about an official form that feels a little more legitimate um, and makes it feel like they are jumping through a hoop, right? In order to rent your property. And you want that, right? You want someone yes. to jump through a hoop or two in order to feel like they have done the work to be worthy of living in your house. Um, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. You want to make sure you're approaching it from a professional you know, standpoint. When I, when I mentioned texting or emailing, I meant like sending the actual uh, PDF of the form because I don't like printing out a bunch of paper and then just end up throwing it in the trash if nobody takes an application. <laughs> sure. But it is totally easy to email or text or send that PDF and then have them send it back on their own time. And again, timeliness, right? How long does it take them to fill that out and get it back to you? In a perfect world, it's a, it's a few short hours for someone that is truly interested in renting your place. But the timeliness in which they respond, how they respond, the level, the thoroughness to which the form is filled out, those are all kind of mini indicators. And then the next indicator is making those phone calls, sending those emails, talking with the current and previous landlords, as well as their boss, right? And this is the easiest step to get sloppy with. You see that they filled out that they are currently employed and you just decide to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? But you can gain the most insight into a potential applicant when you take action on this step and you choose to do the digging, do the hard work of actually sending the emails, making those uncomfortable phone calls. I'm not going to lie, Matt. Like when I dial up the phone to talk to someone like a previous landlord or the boss, I feel a little weird. Yeah. Like <laughs> I feel like I'm digging into someone's private life. But like going through someone's drawers a little bit where it's like, oh, man, I'm going to have to like tread through this and figure out what's been going on. Exactly. Yeah. It's super weird. It is a little weird. It's like you're a counselor. <laughs> yes. That, like, 
I feel like I know a little too much about this person. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. But it also, I know that it is one of my biggest investments in life, right, is are these homes that I've purchased in, in order to give people good places to live. And, and that's the only way that I can make sure that I'm running out to good people. So I have to do it. It feels really weird, but I would say I think that's probably the biggest reason people avoid taking the action on these steps is because it does feel weird. It's awkward. But you have to do it in order to make sure that you're covering you know, your own backside. That's right, man. You got to do it. The step takes the most manual work, like you said, making those calls. Or I would also totally recommend to make the calls and not just do the email. Because I feel like there's something else about hearing somebody talking on the other end of the line. Like if you're talking to a previous landlord and you ask them the question, would you rent to this person again? And they, if they without hesitation say, yes, absolutely. They've been awesome. That's a lot different than someone that pauses for five seconds. Well, I don't know. <laughs> and then they say, yes, yeah, I, I, I would rent to them again. <laughs> yeah, because if they hesitate there, you know, that's, a, that's an indicator. That's a red flag. And you might want to make sure that you are doing the proper amount of vetting when it comes to screening that tenant. And so after the break, we'll share how to run a credit and background check on a tenant. Uh, the good news is that this just takes a few clicks on the computer. And usually it's free to you. Yeah. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at AARP.org slash wise friend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at yeah, the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. 
Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, Joe, we're back. And before the break, we were just talking about how the initial application is the first and best way to make sure that you've got a great applicant on hand. And you're going to do all of that. You're going to make those phone calls to their uh, previous landlords to verify their employment, talk to their bosses. You're going to do all that before you do this next stage that we're going to talk about. And I feel like at this point, you know, not all the puzzle pieces are put together, but you've got a pretty good yeah, idea, a good, good picture of what's formulating, right? Of like what's coming together. And so you know, okay, this person seems like they're on the up and up and I'm ready to jump to this next step. But I think a lot of people in the screening process, they will skip all the stuff we just mentioned. And they will jump jump directly to this yes, step. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where a lot of people screw up ultimately. And, and and maybe they check out on this criminal and credit background check that we're about to talk about. But if they don't check out on those levels above, then you could still be in for a nightmare. So you really, really do want to piece all these things together. Yeah, man, we didn't mention this previously, but one of the reasons why I love taking care of the initial application first and making those calls is that it's free. It does require the most sort of manual labor where you're having to make the phone calls. But it doesn't cost you anything except for a little bit of time talking to someone on the phone. And it doesn't cost the applicant any money either. That's something that some landlords choose to do where they take the application fee, regardless of the order that they choose to process the applicant. And a lot of times what that means is the first thing that they do is they do the tenant screening, is that they do the credit report and the criminal background check, which does cost money. It costs somebody money, whether it's the the landlords or typically it's the applicants. But what's the sense in having an applicant jump through those hoops and pay money when you know that a quick phone call to a previous landlord would have easily told you, yeah, you don't need to rent to these people. Yeah. And I feel like honestly, that the fact that I'm not handling any money directly in regards to an application fee builds a lot of trust between that potential tenant and I. So let's talk about the next step, Matt. It is getting a credit report and running a criminal background check on someone. Um, The great thing is I'm not charging an application fee, like you said, right? I'm doing all this stuff. It is manual labor on my part but I am not charging the potential tenant uh, any sort of fee in order to do that. And there are a few services that can handle this uh, for you and be essentially that middleman between landlord and tenant. And the one that Matt and I are partial to, we've been using for years, is one called mysmartmove.com. And it's run by one of the three major credit bureaus, TransUnion. As a landlord, it's super easy to create an account. You enter your applicant's email address, the site sends them a notification where they can securely enter their personal information, including their social security number, as well as the payment information. So they pay for it directly. And that's kind of what I love about this. It's a beautiful thing. I'm not handling any sensitive information uh, of any of these people. Right. I already said it feels a little awkward that I'm calling to talk to their boss or their previous landlords, but at least I don't have to ask for their social security number and credit card information. Yeah, I'd rather not handle that information as well in addition to talk to their boss. (laughs) So it's so nice that they're entering it into a third party website and then that third party website spits the results back out to me in email form. So that's kind of what I love about handling it this way. It feels so much less awkward. And at the same time, I'm getting all the information that I need to get. That's right, man. So mysmartmove.com is that site. Another one that's real similar to that is Landlord Station. I haven't personally used that, but I did some research on there. And it's set up a lot like My Smart Move. There's some other sites out there as well, like cozy.co. And that's uh, C-O-Z-Y dot C-O. And those sites are a little more robust. Uh, the service that they offer also includes free management software with, with a portal for collecting rent. It makes it super easy, especially if you have a lot of properties. It's a great way to automate a lot of your business if you are a full-time landlord. So check out Cozy.co or even another site as well, Buildium. And they also offer similar services where it's... Dude, essentially, it's like a one-stop shop where if you don't want to interact with your tenants at all, you use these sites. (laughs) Which are great for a lot of reasons. And Yeah, yeah. When you're running a business, you want things to be efficient. You want things to be standardized. and, And that's how you do it. Yeah. And that way, you know, you're not dealing directly with tenants via text message at all hours of the night, right? Like they're sending something to this specific website in order to report their problem. 
But uh, we digress, I guess, because ultimately the thing that we're talking about in today's episode is the easiest way to screen a tenant. And so hopefully we're simplifying these steps, letting you know the exact stages of screening. And it's actually much easier than it appears. Um, It takes a little more time than just typing an email into a website or just making one phone call, right? But doing your due diligence on the front end can save you hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars in eviction fees in dealing with a tenant that is just subpar, right? That is just hard to deal with. And this My Smart Move, the reason I love My Smart Move site as kind of that last final step in tenant screening is because at the very end, My Smart Move really in their email that they send to the landlord pretty much gives you a green, yellow, or red light. And they say, all right, this tenant is green. It's good to go. It's clear. You should accept this person. And based on all the other screening steps that you've done, you say, boom, that last green light, that's all I need. And if it's yellow, there are steps you can take to mitigate your risk. Let's say it's yellow because their credit score is a little bit lower. Then you can say, you know what? All these other steps that I've gone through make this tenant seem pretty trustworthy. And so I'm going to go with them anyway. I'm just going to require a larger security deposit just to cover myself a little bit more. But I just kind of love that system. Hey, man, that's great. Regarding risk, another way too is with students, right? Like if you have a student that doesn't hardly make anything and they're trying to get a place, if you go through these steps, it can be really difficult for them to to seem qualified, even though they might have a parent who's an attorney who makes bank. Uh, And so there's certain situations, right, that might call for a, a less than traditional signing of the lease, whether that mean uh, having the parent sign instead for their student who's in school. Yeah, Matt, that kind of happened to me. Once I had a college student wanting to rent from my house that I was like, there's no way she can afford. But her mom ended up coming with her to the showing and wanted her to live there with a roommate. And it ended up being this great scenario where it was essentially her mom that was the applicant. I ran the mom's credit, got this security deposit from the mom. And then also the mom was paying the rent every month. And so when you're entering into something like that, that's completely fine, right? That's a way to mitigate risk. Yeah. Ultimately as a landlord, like the worst thing you can do is to be signing a lease with someone that doesn't have the credit history, the current cash on hand or the income that qualifies them to rent your place. Yeah, man. Even though we're in Atlanta, we actually don't have a ton of uh, students. And I think in some cities where it is like heavily a college town, that's got to be something that, that folks deal with more. seems like it'd just be an extra headache. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So in the end, it comes down to how you want to spend your time and your money. You know, we, we've, we've touched on this, but in the end, you can spend a little bit of your time and almost no money now while you're screening. Just make sure you're kind of making those calls and doing a little bit of that work now. Or you can spend a ton of time and a lot, lot more money Later on, when it's time to evict somebody, I would choose the former every single time. Yeah, you might get lucky and you might find a good tenant without doing any of this work, right? But that's also kind of playing a game of Russian roulette. And at some point, you're going to get burned by having a bad tenant. I will say that this has pretty much been a foolproof plan for me uh, in finding good tenants. And even when you're doing this, right, you're going to have headaches as a landlord. Even when you're screening tenants well, even when you're getting people that are qualified, that do pay rent on time, you're going to have headaches. Sometimes that great tenant is going to pay late. And sometimes they're going to be a thorn in your side asking for small, ridiculous repairs, you know, on a way too consistent basis. But following this uh, stages of screening process that we've laid out here is going to prevent, you know, 99% of the problems that you might encounter as a landlord with crummy tenants. And so we would say, follow these to a T and things will go well for you as a landlord. Nice, man. Quick little episode on real estate and screening tenants. Uh, one of my favorite topics. <laughs> any, any day of the week, like I get super excited to talk about real estate. And the guy I mentioned earlier in the episode, Tim, I met him at Dude. a three-year-old birthday party. So. Yeah. And he's got seven properties. That kind of gets you fired up, right? Dude, I love talking <laughs> with him about it because every landlord kind of has their own personal experience, yeah. has their own parts of town that they love working in, yeah. has their own kind of story for how they got into it. It's just fun to kind of have those stories and to talk about it. And then also you hear from kind of the beats that other people have experienced in doing the landlord game. And you know what? 
no matter how long you've been a landlord for, you're going to have a beat or two, right, to share. And those are the learning experiences that happen along the way. I think it's just good for us to share with each other as landlords. And it's good for us to listen to the to people that are maybe a little bit further on down the path than we are. Because, man, there's always more that we can learn about being a good landlord, about investing in properties well, uh, to do well for our families and wealth building over the long run. Yeah, man, that's true. And I love what you said too about learning from other other folks that are kind of further down that path. All right, let's talk about the beer we had, Matt. Variants. Again, this was Raspberry Johnny Cashmere. Is this supposed to be like Johnny Cash? So Cashmere is a type of hop. Is it Johnny Cashmere? It must be. It must be. But Cashmere is like a thing. It's like a velvety smooth Cashmere. True. Right? Yep. And it was honestly kind of a velvety it smooth was, yeah. beer. It, there were, what, three different kind of fruits involved. And the interesting thing is uh, it was what? Raspberry. Raspberry, guava, and passion fruit. And the funny thing is, what, what did you beer, taste? What I tasted the most was grapefruit. And that's not even <laughs> one of the listed fruits. I don't know why. It was a really, really, really good beer. But I tasted a lot of grapefruit in it. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Maybe that's just the combo of those three fruits. They kind of taste like grapefruit. Their powers combined equals grapefruit. I guess so. It poured it. I mean, it poured a really pretty kind of ruby grapefruit color. Uh, a lot of fruit on the nose. So really heavy in the fruit. If you're not huge in IPAs, but you love fruit, I would say check this out. If you're local and in the Atlanta area, you can get these guys. Yeah, because uh, Variant doesn't distribute their beers. And you went up to the brewery recently. You picked up this crowler of uh, Johnny Cashmere. Yeah, man. 32 and, ounces. You and I each get a pint. And that was like lovely, man. I Now I definitely <laughs> want to make the trek up outside of town to check out Variant because... Got to head OTP. Because it was a really good beer and I want to try more of their stuff. So you want to hear a funny story? Yeah, so always. We, we swung by there after uh, a couple weeks ago. I took a Friday off and me and Kate and the girls, we went hiking and swung by the brewery afterwards, which is perfect, right? Beautiful day. You want to go hiking and then you want to go drink beer. Well, Kate was uh, wrapping up with the girls. And before we got back in the car, took them to the bathroom and she had her sunglasses clipped, you know, like you kind of fold them over and hook them on your shirt. Uh huh. And we've got young girls, one, three and five, but she had the three and the five year old in the bathroom. And she was bending over to kind of help them out, uh, get off the toilet. Glasses in the toilet. Glasses fell into the <laughs> fell into the toilet, and uh, the girls were freaking out. They're like, "No, your mom, <laughs> your glasses, mom!" And so Kate was like, staying calm. She's like, "It's okay, I got this, I got this." And so she went and grabbed some toilet paper to kind of make a little glove, sort of. Doesn't uh, work in the water very well. Yeah, it doesn't really work. But she, I don't know, it's just what she had in her mind. And when she stepped away to grab toilet paper to be able to grab it. It had the automatic sensor flush. Oh. It had flushed her sunglasses down the toilet. And our girls freaked out even more. And Evie, our oldest, started screaming, but it's bad for the world. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the funniest thing ever. She just kept saying, it's bad for the world for those sunglasses to go down that toilet. So those glasses are gone. They're, they're gone, like, man. Yeah, they're totally gone. And they're in like New Zealand now or something. <laughs> I, that's just how I assume the plumbing works here. I felt terrible. And so when I was buying the crawler, I was like, hey, by the way, I just want to let you know that my wife accidentally flushed her sunglasses down the toilet and there might be a problem with that last stall. I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm out of here. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> Never to be seen again. Never to be seen. I did tell her after I got my crawler because I was just like, I wanted to make that quick getaway. That's awesome. And I love Evie's reaction. That's so Evie. Yeah. All right, Joel. Time for our final thoughts. Again, the reason that we're talking about screen tenants is that this can be a very tempting step to skip when it comes to getting a new tenant in your place. And it can cost you a ton of money if you have to evict your tenants. Yeah, man. In all likelihood, it's going to be a huge headache. And it's also going to cost you thousands of dollars. Yeah. And we can't promise that you're definitely going to avoid leasing your place to a subpar tenant. But we do think that if you will stick to the stages of screening that we lay out, you're going to amplify the chances of finding someone that is going to treat your home well and pay rent on time. So the first stage of screening, pre-screening. Make sure that you have specific requirements in your listing, things like your credit score or your income requirements. Those things allow your tenants to essentially pre-screen themselves and they won't be wasting their time or yours. And then schedule showings. You'll learn a lot by emailing back and forth to set up that appointment. And then you'll also learn a lot in person when they show up. Or if they don't show up and they don't tell you anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Communication or lack thereof when it comes to that initial showing of the property will be a huge tip-off whether you're dealing with someone who 
is responsible and will be a good tenant for the long haul in your place or not. So the next step, if they like the place, the next thing you want to do is get them an initial application. And this is where they can fill out that personal information. Uh, Just the basic stuff like tenant history, employment information. You want to make sure they have a signature on there as well. That way you can verify that information with their previous landlords or their place of employment. Yeah. And then make the phone calls, send the emails, do your due diligence. It's really easy to skip those steps, but those are the most crucial parts of this whole process in order to make sure that you are gaining the most insight into that applicant, you know, verifying their employment and good standing with previous landlords is insanely important. Yeah, it cannot be overstated, man. And then the final step, once all that checks out, is to run their actual credit report and their criminal background check. MySmartMove.com is a great site to run something like that. You don't have to deal with handling your applicant's social security number or accept payment. It all goes through that website. So be sure to check them out. Yeah, the nice thing is you're not handling any money in this exchange. And MySmartMove is doing all the heavy lifting for you. But don't skip straight to that step. You're going to want to follow all of these stages of screening in order to find the best tenant. Yeah, man, that's right. So thank you folks for listening. Our home on the web is howtomoney.com. We'll have our show notes up there for you where we'll have a list of the sites where you can run the credit report and criminal background checks on your applicants. Yeah. And if you like this episode, well, there's a lot more out there for you to listen to. So check out our backlog of episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Until next time, man. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.